Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 203. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here at Restaurant Unstoppable, we are huge fans of The E-Myth, written by Michael Gerber. And in that book, he tells us we need to innovate by finding ways to be more efficient, quantify by collecting and keeping track of our data, and orchestrate by setting standard operating procedures in our restaurant. With QSR Online, you can do all three of these things seamlessly. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. Again, that's go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. Now enjoy today's show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Catherine Duncan. Catherine, tell me you're feeling unstoppable this morning. You have no idea how unstoppable I am feeling. I'm ready to go. Is the sun even up yet? <laughs> um, Barely, barely, uh-huh. but that's what makes me feel unstoppable. I feel like the whole day is mine to be seized. Uh, thank you for uh, waking up early and uh, helping me get this, this uh, interview recorded. I can't wait to capture your story and advice. So just let me give the, the listeners a quick overview of who you are, and then we'll dive into it. Catherine's upbringing on a small Wisconsin farm led to an appreciation for fresh delicious products her first venture started at the age of 10 when she would use cream from her family's jersey cows to create soft old-fashioned caramels Catherine's caramels were sold at dad's office for 25 cents each and quickly became a local favorite soon her caramels and truffles were highly anticipated gifts every christmas in the fall of 2006 Catherine Ann's Confections was launched in Chicago to rave reviews. Today, you can find Catherine in her Chicago kitchen, stirring caramel and rolling truffles, just like she did at the age of 10. The age of 10, that's crazy, but with a lot more chocolate. So, Catherine, that's just a huge aerial view of who you are, what you're all about. I can't wait to capture your story, but first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, what do you have for us today? Absolutely. My favorite is actually from Bill Gates, and he says, we often overestimate what we can do in a day, and we underestimate what we can accomplish in a year. Oh, so awesome. I think that puts a lot into perspective when you think about your day-to-day life. But then look, at, look back on the year and what you've actually gotten done. But how many of us end the day thinking, oh, man, I didn't come close to denting my list? <laughs> but in so a year, true. a lot has changed. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I think it's really important to just stop and reflect on what you have accomplished because this work, this line of work is, man, it takes a toll on you. And you need to take those mm-hmm. moments to just absorb and kind of celebrate your achievements. So I think that's great stuff right there. And um, why don't You're you, absolutely right. <laughs> why don't you give the listeners um, just kind of a a snapshot of how you got to where you are today. Give us a, a you know, the play-by-play. For sure. You know, and it's funny when you say a snapshot of how you got to where you are. I think if I could narrow it down to just a couple things and say, oh, it was it was these, like, three traits or five traits, that would be that would be so cool. But I, I honestly think it might be a mixture of, like, 
50 or 100 trades. It's, it's, one of those, <laughs> it's been such a convoluted path. And I think my path is maybe a little different from most. So I've been in, I grew up on a small farm in Wisconsin. And so that's where I learned my appreciation for, you know, local organic real food mm. you know back in the back in the 80s and 90s you know my my farm was promoting hormone free and organic and we were being laughed at by neighbors saying this isn't going to go anywhere what are you what are you guys doing um <laughs> but that was something that was really important to us and, and obviously it's a huge movement today growing in leaps and bounds and so i think that's that's truly where it started i, but I, I love how you use the word come. movement and not trend. Just wanted to point that out. I feel like people <laughs> call this a trend, and it's not a trend. It's a movement. Things are changing. I like to be optimistic. Sorry, keep going. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, trends, trends are often very transient, oh, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it comes and goes like a fad, like like low fat or something <laughs> like me that. Nuts. I think this. <laughs> yeah, this movement is not going anywhere for sure. But yeah, so so I moved to Chicago when I was eighteen. Um, started working for Potbelly Sandwich Works. And that was my first my first official job outside of the farm. And, you know, learned a ton there from operations. I just started off making sandwiches, but then, you know, kind of rose to the ranks, opened stores, stuff like that. And I became one of the managers at one of the locations. And so I learned a lot of my operations background from that. Um, so I wasn't diving in completely blind. But when I was 22 years old, I decided to start a business making truffles and caramels, and I've been making truffles and caramels, you know, since the age of 10. I've been making them for friends and family, just, you know, for holiday gifts. And one friend said, you know, I took these home, because we were in college, I took these home and brought them to my mom, and she ate them all. I didn't (laughs) even get one. So can I buy a box from you? And we said, you know, my my, um, business partner, and I said, well, Sure. And so that's kind of how we realized that maybe these were something a little bit different. You know, I thought this was just what everybody did. <laughs> everybody made their Christmas truffles and caramels. But, you know, I think that's when we realized there was something kind of special. So I started learning, reading books, you know, um, trying all the chocolate I could get my hands on, figuring out what made it delicious, and just kind of dove in the deep end. I was like, how hard can it be? Um, turns out it can be it can be quite hard. <laughs> um, so so that was nine years ago, and wow. again it's it's been a crazy convoluted path. You know, I read so many business books. I tried so many different things. I tried to you know oh let's focus on real estate agents. Surely real estate agents would like to give OA chocolates and caramels as gifts. Um, so I've I've as far as sales have gone. I've gone from somebody who couldn't make a cold call to somebody who's made hundreds of cold calls, um, and I can usually get somebody to actually talk to me on the phone these days, which is is really cool. You know, it's again, you look back at what's happened over nine years; it's it's been dramatic changes. You know, it was just me working out of a rental kitchen, oh, maybe six hours a week, and then the rest of the time, the time trying to sell my product, trying to build my website. Um, to now, we have four staff. We have a shop in Logan Square. We've been written up in national publications. That's awesome. We've Congratulations. In, thank you. We've been probably in 50 publications. You know, and, and my business partner and I are actually accepting salaries from the business, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but, I mean, to you in the restaurant industry and to, to your listeners in the restaurant industry, you know that as the owner, as the owner of a restaurant, as the owner of a business, a small business, it's tough, and oh, yeah. 
I am always, not anymore, but two years ago, I really started to to open up about my financials a little bit to other businesses, and I was shocked at, at the amount of people that weren't paying themselves. So this is a huge accomplishment, you know? Absolutely. Um, chocolate, chocolate is funding my life, which is very cool. <laughs> awesome stuff. So let me ask me, what is your purpose? What is your why? I think that question of you know, why do you do this is so important because that's what centers you. That's what drives you. So what is your why? What's your purpose? What drives you? You know, I think, um, I think there might be a couple answers to that question. Um, and definitely the most important one is, is a lesson that I learned from my boss at Potbelly, Mike Ganino, um, who is a very inspiring figure which in my is, life and definitely, which is how I found you. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a great he's a great guy and he definitely helped guide a lot of my business philosophy today. But you know, he said when we were when we were making sandwiches, he said, Like, you know, we're in the business of making people happy. We're not here to make sandwiches. In the long run we're making people happy and that's absolutely what I believe and that's absolutely what I started my business. At the end of the day, what I want to see is people smiling when they eat chocolate, you know? I want to be that that bright spot in somebody's life. Um I occasionally get emails of people writing in and saying, I just had the most amazing truffle. I had a great hot chocolate. I keep every one of those emails. Mm, Absolutely. That's awesome. That, that is it's, it's a, a daily reminder when things get tough to, like, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm also here because I, I um, am hugely motivated to, to be my own boss. And this seemed like a really awesome way to do it. This seemed like a really awesome way to control my own destiny and to do my own thing. What's, what appeals uh, to you about so, that, though? What, why is that so important? I think that that's a lot of the reason why people get into this industry, because they, they, can't picture, they can't picture themselves working for somebody else. So why is it important to you? You know, that's, that's a, another great question. Um, no surprise. So I feel like I, I actually originally got into this for the wrong reason. I thought that... Surely in 50 hours a week or, or 45 or maybe even 60 hours a week, I could accomplish so much, right? Mm-hmm. I could I could make a lot of money. Um, that turned out to not be true, of course, as we all know. Um, with the steep learning curve, you know, just it took it took a long time for us to actually make money and to bring in a good a decent salary. But um, but I would say now, you know, I have a 14 month old daughter. I get to arrange my schedule around her. You know, my business partner and I work very hard to arrange the schedule. Um, I know we think we're meeting early, but my business partner's already been at the kitchen for an hour making chocolates. Um, and that's what we do so that we can hang out with our daughter. But, mm. you know, tell me of any other place that you can arrange your schedule like that. Like, that's just amazing. And, you know, another one of those awesome quotes that I really like is, you know, it's great to, to own your own business. You can work whatever hours you Sixteen hour days, sixteen hours in the day, work those hours, um, which which is kind of funny and kind of true, right? So we all work so much, but we do get to choose those times. And I absolutely will work when my daughter's asleep, when she's napping, and then I'll get to hang out with her. You know, and think, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, you absolutely can. Just the one word is just control over your life. You can you can point the ship in whatever direction you want. I think that is just so rewarding. And you're um, absolutely right. And just the, the fact that you can. To achieve this is just so rewarding. And I think that must be a huge part of it, too, for you. But um, let's talk now. Absolutely. <laughs> let's talk now about your it factors, your habits, your characteristics, Catherine, that you think most contribute to your success. 
I would say that the number one characteristic would be tenacity. Mm. And it's just you never give up. Whatever hits you, you just you just don't give up. And, you know, again, I think with my unconventional background of, you know, I didn't take those those years to work for somebody else and to kind of learn those mistakes. I learned everything the hard way. I learned everything with my money. Um, I there were so many times where I wanted to give up and I, I and I but I, I moved forward instead. I said, well, this is a learning experience. I've had a lot of learning experiences, it turns out. So I do think <laughs> that tenacity is hugely important. Just the ability to shrug it off and move on. Learning experience, man. You can't go crawl into your bed and cry. That just that's that's not gonna work. Yeah, totally. I think too often people give up way too soon. They they give up just oh, yeah. before that tipping point. So hang in oh, yeah. there. Catherine's a shining example of what happens when you just hang in there. What's the it's next thing? So impact? true. I mean honestly honestly two years ago I was definitely starting to get concerned about if I would be able to to get the sort of salary that I wanted. And, you know, this year it, it couldn't be more different. You know, it's it's amazing. Awesome. I'm so pumped for you. So what's your other if factors, Catherine? Um, again, I think tenacity is the, big, the biggest one, but being able to learn from anybody, I think mm-hmm. very frequently, you know, especially in this industry and with business owners, we're so busy, we're so, we're so rushed and hurried that somebody might say one thing, and, and even to the point of, oh, I disagree with them on political terms, and we just tune out. We just stop listening. Um, I've learned some pretty valuable lessons from conversations with folks that I didn't necessarily agree with, um, but that that had, you know, very cool backstories and very, like, they'd they'd come a long way, you know? Yeah, Um, that's so true. I think being able to learn from anybody is very, very, very important. Sometimes, too, like, you let your ego get in the way. Like, oh, you know, like I'm the boss. Like, I'm not going to listen to you. I make the decisions. But you can learn um, just from the people that are working for me. You never know who's working for you who might have these strengths and these weird places. But they might have some great advice that if you just break down the barriers and let your ego get, you know, out of the way, like, you can learn so much from so many people surrounding you every day. You are just so on the ball here. I mean, that's just, it's absolutely true. And it's something that, that I say often is, you know, as business owners, as restaurant owners, there's nobody to call us out on our crap. You know what I mean? There's, as, as working for somebody else or somebody who's like, you know what, this is just, this is not how it's done. Here's why this is unacceptable, right? As a, as a boss, as a business owner, nobody tells you things are unacceptable. They're just like, wow, I'm not going to work with this person again. And I've definitely learned a lot of hard lessons. I would say less and less now, but, you know, I would I would take way too long to get back to people. For instance, mm-hmm. I, I remember one client that I lost because they wanted some sort of special truffle, and I was like, well, that's not something we do. Uh, why isn't it something that we do? Why Why can't it be something that we do? Yeah. And why didn't you have a sample to them within, you know, maybe 48 hours? So that's the sort of thing that I just don't make that mistake anymore. Um, awesome. But being able to being able to learn from your staff, absolutely. Being able to learn from even from from people who just come in to, to intern with us, um, I think there are always valuable lessons to be learned. Surrounded by lessons, absolutely, Catherine. So, are there any other if factors you want to share with us before we move on? I I think those are the the big ones. Awesome. Those are two great ones. So let's talk now about a failure or a time you just fell hard on your ass, Catherine, and then tell us how you got back up and what you took away from that failure. Yeah. Well, uh, there have been quite a few. I would say that um, probably about a year ago, we had we had overhired. We got we got too ambitious. We got too excited. 
we'd had a really great December. And December is about three times the revenue of any other month for us because of all those corporate gifts. So December can make or break you. Mm. Um, and, and especially for it, you guys, we, the chocolate, I can't even, you just, just came off your busy season. Like, yeah, I'm, you're and, absolutely right. and have, I'm surprised you're still alive and have any energy left over for me in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because, that's because I've got a couple, I've had a couple of weeks to recover. So <laughs> we had some time off. We got to, you know, catch up, but yeah, December can make or break you. And we thought it had made us. It almost broke us for sure. We had too many, too many people on staff. And, you know, honestly, the staff were, you know, we weren't there. We were off-site doing business development, doing other meetings. And the, they kind of took it into their own hands, and they were not rocking it out the way that they should have been. Mm. And that was, that was really tough. We had, to, um, we had to, to fire people for the first time because we were slow for the first time ever. We, I had to fire a personal friend of mine. Um, and it's, it's really, really hard. That was – it was – like we we took a very big hit as far as morale. We mm-hmm. thought we had a, a safe place. We had promised people jobs. We had to take those jobs away. That's that's a terrible feeling. You're messing with somebody's livelihood. So you said and, that the, the failure was over hiring, but exactly. Let's let's dive deeper. Let's really hone into that. Like sure. where. Where was like the real feel- failure though? Was it not managing your staff right? Was it just not having enough work for people? What was going on? You know, it's I would say it's both of those. To be completely honest, you know, we we hired for for positions where we're like, well, we need somebody in these shops. You know, so we're open eleven to nine. You know, for four of the of the three of the days mm-hmm. of the week. So we said, well, we need somebody there from from ten to you know ten to ten. Well, turns out we were so slow in the morning. I should have been there, or my business partner should have been there, and we could bring our laptops, do business development, but instead of standing around, we could actually be accomplishing things. Mm. Um, and whereas the staff, you know, they didn't have a purpose. They weren't said, they weren't given, hey, here's some things that you can accomplish in those off hours. Um, and absolutely, I think, you know, we were more absentee business owners. We weren't there. We weren't giving them that motivation, that inspiration, those lists of stuff that they, of things that they can, can do and they can accomplish. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of failures last year and, and it was tough, but you know, we sat down and we took a hard look at the finances and we actually, we made several, mocked up several different scenarios and we realized A, we couldn't keep them, but B, if we laid off one more person than we needed and we worked seven days a week, um, we had, we had one day off every two to three weeks. So it worked like that for a year. Wow. We would be able to get to that salary level that we wanted. Oh, <laughs> that's crazy. So, I mean, I'm Tell I'm me giant, about it. And I'm, we, and we at this point had a four month old child. So that was insane. an incredibly hard decision. That's... And, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, okay, we made the decision. We've moved forward. Now we're done. No, we, we had to work those, those crazy, crazy days. Mm. And actually this, this January is the first time since, um, so it's about a year that we've actually, like, I, I will say today is one of my days off, but this is, this is time off. This is <laughs> I hope this but, isn't too um, much work for you, Catherine. <laughs> no, this is great. But, but you know, we're actually, we're, we're alternating two days, one day off a week. So it's, it's getting, it's getting back a little bit to normal, but that was, that was a hard mistake to realize that we had to pay for it. And it was really tempting to just say, is this worth it? We want to spend time with our child. Um, is this ever going to pan out? Is this going to be what we want to do? 
you know, this is clearly not the life we want to lead. We don't want to work seven days a week. We don't want to work 80-hour weeks, 90-hour weeks, every single week. But um, here we are. Catherine, I wrote and down some notes here, some things that, that really uh, stuck, you know, stood out to me when you were telling this story. And you overhired yeah. um, what you thought would able would be allowed for you to, you know, to get off site, to get away from yeah. the operation, but you didn't have yep. that direction. You didn't have the systems, the, the processes, uh, the checklist, or you didn't give the purpose to your staff to be able to do their job uh, in the right Absolutely. directions. So, uh, is is that what you're saying? Is is that is that safe to say? That- sort of, but. You know, I think we were we were so excited about the amount of money that we made in December, the amount of accomplishments we'd made in December, um, that we thought that there was going to be a, that that there was going to be enough work for people, and there simply wasn't. So, mm-hmm. not only were systems and processes not in place, we should have you know we ended up firing three people. We mm-hmm. should have we shouldn't have had two of those people to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, in order you know, looking back on it, we should have done the full financial forecast. And we we thought that we had we had simply not gone deep enough. Got we it. thought that the amount of business development that we could do would bring in additional sales, would bring in additional clients, and grow our production. It wasn't growing it enough. Um, we would have had to go by about fifty percent. Awesome and that in, in two months, that's not going to happen. Absolutely not. You just we just simply can't. There aren't enough people out there for us to call. All great um, lessons, Catherine. All great lessons. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. We all know the challenges of running a restaurant. Is the staff productive? Are the menu prices set to the right profitability? Am I getting the best prices from my suppliers? Do the customers continue to have the experience you envisioned? You probably have a handful of service providers, software, and people all trying to pull together your systems for managing your restaurant. From the managers doing labor scheduling and taking inventory to your bookkeeper entering invoices and sales numbers from the POS, your employees, providers, and you are tasked with several costly endeavors, both in time and money. Have you ever stopped to consider just how much all these activities are costing you? Well, I would like to tell you about a service that automates all these tasks and does much, much more. QSRonline.com. QSR Online was started by people in the restaurant industry who saw how much wasted effort there was in their business and set out to build a better system, and they've been helping restaurateurs for over a decade minimize and control their costs. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. That is go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you, Catherine, is what is your advice for getting that initial capital, that initial funding to get started? That's a that's a tough one. Um, I think everybody goes about it a little bit differently. You can spend a lot of time raising money. I think raising money in and of itself is a full-time job. My business partner and I went the self-financed route. We saved money, we saved money, we saved money, and then we started, and we went slowly but surely. Um, I hear it. I do hear it said frequently that the folks that start off with a little bit of money end up lasting longer because my mistakes, they were they were small mistakes. You know, they felt huge to me, but when I made a $1,000 mistake, I felt it because that was my $1,000. Mm. Whereas entrepreneurs who start with even $100,000, $500,000, you know, they're making $10,000 mistakes. Mm. Um, they're making much larger mistakes, and they're like, oh, that's a bummer, but, you know, that's... Or someone else's it, it, money. I feel like, yeah, and you know, as much integrity as as one can have, I feel like you know, until you you've worked for every dollar in there, you're just not going to feel it. That being said, 
there are a lot of great partnerships out there, and you can surely grow much faster if you have financing behind you. You know, we've been in business for nine years, um, and and you know, it's taken it's taken a while to get here. We have pretty solid ten to twenty percent growth each year. With financing, you could have a hundred percent growth. You know, that would be possible. That's simply not possible with us. So you can definitely move along pretty quickly. Um, I would say as far as financing, make sure, you know, think long and hard and say, is this, is this a relationship I want to be in in 10 years? Um, if you're looking at an actual business partnership, I think that that relationship has to be incredibly strong. It has to be stronger than husband and wife, in my opinion, because it, when you marry, you have love holding you together. Mm-hmm. When you're business partners, that's it, you know. <laughs> you're going to see more of them than your spouse. You're going to hang out with them all the time. Um, you know, if if you're on opposite side of sides of the political spectrum, for instance, I can tell you it's not going to work. So how did you know so, your partner was going to be right? How did you know? Like, what what made you uh-huh. think this is a good decision? We're, we also we also happen to be married, <laughs> and we've been we met online um, half my life ago. So yeah, I was um, we've been we've been together actually since I was sixteen. Wow! So I I had the inside scoop. Okay, <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, so let's talk about uh, people. I mean, this food and beverage industry, and you know this from your time at Potbelly, I'm sure as well that it's a people business. You have to treat your people right, and you have to manage and lead your people. So, what advice do you have for hiring and then managing and retaining your people? For sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird because I'm not really strictly part of the restaurant industry, right? Like, we don't have wine cooks. We don't work till 2 o'clock in the morning. So I think, you know, as far as, as my industry, it's it's weird just because we're chocolate. We're actually more of a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with, with the restaurant industry, one thing you see kind of regularly is, is almost this patriarchal, uh, close to abusive relationships between between owners, owners or chefs, and their and their staff. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen people yelled at. I've seen people cry. Um, I don't think that anybody deserves to be treated that way. And that's something that you're starting to see change in the industry slowly but surely. Um, the mantra of "Well, it was done to me, so and I turned out okay," I think is is not a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not positive. So, um, yeah, I would say that. Just treating your staff with respect is huge. And not just respect as in a good job, man, at the end of the night, but respect as far as, you know, they had legitimately had something come up. What can you do for them? You know, they legitimately would like to leave half an hour earlier. You know, obviously nobody should be walked on. But, you know, if you can make somebody's get them off a few hours early for their birthday, can you do that? Mm. Absolutely. Um, and also day to day, day to day respect. You know, and and they should also know how to how to do their job well. I, anybody that I hire, I want them to feel pride in their job well done. I need to give them the tools to accomplish that job. You know, if I'm scheduling somebody with only 15 minutes to open when it, it should take 30 minutes, they're not going to feel really. They're not going to feel awesome. They're not going to feel great and empowered to accomplish their job. You know, mm-hmm. so we we also st- seek a lot of advice from staff as far as, you know, hey, how you, here's how your station is set up right now. What do you think about that? Is there anything we can reorganize to make it more efficient? Um, and that sort of thing. So we definitely try to empower them to make those changes. And I think that's where, you know, earlier you were talking about not letting your ego get in the way. This is where a lot of that comes from, I think, as well. And just letting staff say, you know, I'm going to put this cup over there 
because that's where it really works out well for me. Um, I think that you need to, to be the, fo- the person that says, perfect. If that makes your job easier, go for it. I keep it over here. I think this works best. But you, you think that that works best? Go for it. Go for it, my friend. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, trust and empowerment. And uh, listening to you talk, it really reminds me of Stephen R. Covey's book, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I, I can't remember where mm. in the book he was talking about this, but he was talking about, you know what, I, it doesn't matter how people do things as long as the end result is the same. And you know what, when you, when you, give, yeah, and when you give people the empowerment, like you say, to do these things, they might figure out a way – that was ten times better, more efficient, more affordable to figure to get that product to the end result, and you would have never come across it if you didn't give people that empowerment and that freedom to make their own decisions. And they feel great when they discover these things. You're not doing yourself. You're so any right. So yes, awesome yes, and you know, um, my um, my business partner actually comes from the tech industry. So he's a computer programmer. Um, he's He's gone through startups and, you know, works at large companies. And so it's very cool, actually, to have him as part of business because he comes up with unconventional ways to do things you would never think of. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, in addition to building our website and our, our accounting software and all that awesome stuff, he's come up with, with metrics for our our entire ordering process. I mean, I see a lot of companies that just kind of have stuff written on the whiteboard. All of our orders are entered into our invoice system, and then we print out an order board that has all of our products, um, you know, compiled by type, and then broken down into how long everything should take. So we don't kind of have to guess at, at our day. We can look at the day and say, oh, it's going to take this many hours. Like, we know how much production we have to do. Um, or, man, next week's order board's starting to get a little crazy. Let's get ahead right now. Let's start making some products. So, you know, it's it's he comes up with, with ways that you would never think to do things because he's not in the industry. You know, it's that fresh pair of eyes, and, it, and it's awesome. Um, now, that being said, I do think that there are a lot of things that they're done like that for a reason. You know, so we always go into discussions now with why do we do this this way? And if I'm sitting there and I and I honestly can't come up with a response other than that's the way we've always done it, which, by the way, is never allowed in our shop, <laughs> um, then then we look at it again and we and we try we try something new. Um, and again, I, I will throw out as another caveat that when somebody's learning one of our systems, learning is always hard. Learning it always takes a little bit to get us to get to be quick at a skill. You know, it 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 does. It, you can't just walk in and expect to roll truffles or dip truffles quickly and and well right away. So we always say that people do need to follow our methods that we have designed with those nine years of experience. They have to follow those methods first. Mm-hmm. They have to get get decent at that first, and then basically, and then we'll give them the okay to say, all right, branch out. Mm. Um, if, if there's what has been frustrating you about this process, what can you change? Awesome. But just because we know that there is a kind of that upfront learning cost, we do make ensure that that folks learn learn our methods first and then kind of get the freedom to explore. I love it. All great advice. And uh, the next question I have for you, Catherine, is what are some of the current challenges or industry ch- challenges that you're, you're seeing and what are you doing to prepare for it? And I know that you're kind of uh, you're in the food and beverage. You do do make sandwiches, uh, and I don't know if there's anything that's separate, like maybe slightly outside of the industry. But like, what are you seeing? You know, it's it's interesting. I have I have two answers to this question. One of it is tipping. I think tipping is huge right now. I think it's going to change a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 
you know, tipping is very nebulous. Some people tip 5%, some people tip uh, 30 mm-hmm. and and it's usually, you know, studies have shown that it's usually not based on the actual service. Regardless of the service, everything kind of averages out to be 18%. So why do we tip, then, is the question. And I think that more and more we're going to see people moving away from tipping, potentially. But, you know, legally, you're not allowed to split tips with front of house and back of house right now. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's stopping people, but, you know, I, I'm, cur- I'm hopeful that these laws will change. And then we'll start Rock House for, for their hard work, um, for sure. So that's that's definitely one big thing, one big challenge that I see in the horizon as far as tipping. Um, it's it's coming to the forefront of a lot of a lot of uh, folks are paying attention How to that right now. How do you think it will change, Catherine? Like, what do you think they're going to do? Do you think they're just going to increase the the cost like by twenty percent and split that wage evenly? Um, do a service charge. That would be my guess. I know that that's one way people are going right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I would guess increasing costs might be one way. Um, I think that there are a lot of solutions to it. Uh, I'm I'm sure, to be honest, that smarter people than I are thinking about it right now. Um, But it's definitely one of those things that makes it very tough to be a server or a cook in the industry because you never know when it's going to be slow. You never know when it's going to be busy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think finding more people on salary and more people getting decent wages, it's going to be something that we start to see more of, Um, at least in Chicago. At least in Chicago, for sure. And, you know, as far as managing your money, too, uh, you don't have to kind of anticipate what you're going to make. You know if you're working such and such hours, you're going to make such and such money. I think that will help a lot of people with just managing exactly. their money, for sure. Uh, are there any for other sure. challenges? You said you had two. What else were you thinking? Well, actually, I was just thinking of kind of going a run-on on, on the tipping one. As far as salaries, you know, I think that, you're seeing a lot more people put folks on salary so that they can help them manage their mm-hmm. money and so that they, they know and they can predict. Um, I do feel like a few years ago, putting somebody on salary was equivalent to saying, I want you to work 60 hours and only pay you 40. <laughs> um, but I think that that's changing slowly but surely. You know, I know quite a few people who actually pay overtime to their staff if they work more than 40 hours, which yeah. is awesome. I, I know a lot of people that are capping their staff at 40 hours. And sure, maybe there's a busy week where they come in for an extra shift, but, but that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a direction I very much hope that, that everybody can go. Awesome For stuff. sure. And then, but yeah, the, the other one that I have is, is super specific to, to me, um, to chocolate. Um, and that's that, um, you know, Chicago, has, I think we have a very odd relationship with chocolate you know i still see a lot of people that they say things like oh yeah you know i've, I've been breaking out i can't eat chocolate it's like they, chocolate doesn't cause acne i know we thought that in the 80s but it, it doesn't um so you know that's it's one kind of funky thing that i see frequently is that you know we're not a, a super sweet sweets town you know when we go for sweets we go for pie we go for donuts um, kind of those Midwestern hearty staples. People don't go out for the afternoon, you know, cup of coffee and piece of chocolate with their friends. And I'm, I'm not sure why. You know, we're one of only um, a very few artisan chocolatiers in the city. You know, most folks aren't making their own stuff. And, and the, you know, the, the ones we have are truly excellent. But compared to New York per capita, we, could, we should have 10. We should have many more. And I and I don't know why. You know, it's, it seems to be quite hard to make it happen as a chocolate company. So that's one thing that I see, and I'm and uh, you know I can't really justify it. I th- I'm not sure if a lot of people still go with Fannie Mae if they're going to Godiva, but 
um, in that vein as well, a lot of people don't hold their chocolatiers to standards that they would hold their restaurants to. Mm. You know, we're using the same suppliers that the great, you know, the, the awesome restaurants in town are using. We're using the um, seedling farms for our fruits. We're using Kilgus Farms Cream, which is actually Jersey cows, which I grew up with. Um, so the same breed of cows I grew up with. You know, it's a herd of 120 cows. No, Super you- small batch. Do you you think that some of the challenges, some of the reasons why you might have seen a decrease in some of these chocolatiers was because you had these huge chocolate companies like Hershey's or Lint Chocolate or, or, you know, these these mega big companies? Is it hard? Was it hard to compete with those companies maybe in the the 90s or 80s? So you saw a lot of those. And so that's that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, most of the companies I've seen I've seen companies who were started after I did who've gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, so so with chocolate, why do we compare Hershey's to Catherine Ann Confections? You know, we would never say, "Oh, how is Alinea still in business when there are so many Olive Gardens around?" Yeah. You know, that's but that's that's something that I see happens so often is chocolate is chocolate. Well, I think uh, what happens in, in food in general, and you could take what you're saying and put it to the, the restaurant industry, like people, we, we don't know what goes into food anymore. And when people are just getting more efficient and more efficient, they're just pre, pretty much just cutting down the quality of food. And people didn't, they lost the concept of what food actually costs and what good food is. But now with like the information being so readily available to people with the internet, People are learning and self-educating themselves to say, hey, like, why wouldn't I want to get Catherine Ann's chocolate? This is real food. This comes from cows, like, right down the street. Like, why would I spend a little extra money to support a local artisan and when I can go get a, a candy bar for a dollar? You know, but now they know. You're, I, for sure, yeah. I think people want just a little... I think people are definitely going in the direction of wanting more than just a quick sugar fix. Mm-hmm. They do want to support the local businesses. Um, and and I totally agree that people are starting to care about where things come from um, and, and really want to know kind of the history behind things. But, it, you know, again, that doesn't really translate to chocolate very often. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure with the chefs and, and restaurateurs you've had on your on your show here, you've had a lot of people talking, kind of rolling their eyes about how, you know, they. I don't know if you've seen that Portlandia skit where they're they're looking at the history of the, the chicken. Where was the chicken raised? <laughs> whatever. Um, but but I feel like that happens a lot in this industry. Is, is people kind of go over and over, you know, above and beyond with their sourcing, and they they want to know the history of everything. We don't get that question. People just don't ask. They they don't think it matters, or they don't they think well they're just chocolate. I'm sure they're not using local local cream, organic sugar. But but we are. You know, that's really important to us. Um, and so why don't why don't more consumers ask? Um, why don't they do they notice? I, I don't know. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I hope so too. You know, but, but I it's, really do. But it's very it's very interesting that I feel like chocolate is chocolate to some people. You know, they say, oh, I usually buy, you know, Fannie Mae, but I'm buying I'm buying your stuff this year, um, or or vice versa. Um, that so should be your next marketing campaign. Chocolates. Not just chocolate. But. Chocolate's not just chocolate. I like it. Um, but yeah, so so it's come a long way. And then it's you know as far as you said something interesting about you know people wanting to support the small batch artisan. I think that's actually been an awesome trend that I've seen lately. Um, you know, folks know that they can't just come in once a year and and support us and and help pay our rent. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to see them once a month. We need to see them you know, a little bit more often. And, and people are getting really excited to to be part of that. They say, you know, we see people come in weekly for just just a truffle and that's great that is awesome you know a we get to put you know a little smile on their face a little more often but b they're truly supporting a small business they're truly helping us grow and thrive
Awesome stuff. I love it. So I gotta ask Catherine, how are you bouncing work in life? You already mentioned that you're working crazy hours. You have control with your partner on when you're working, but what else do you, what other advice do you have for bouncing that work life? Um, another great quote that I'm not sure who said it is, there is no work life balance. There's just life. <laughs> and I've come, I've come to truly believe that, you know, so um, what's that quote mean to you? What's that say to you? What that quote means to me is like, I don't, I don't have work where I'm like, Oh, this is work. I, you know, it's, it's work. And by that definition, it must not be fun. You know, I love my work. I love what I do. Um, I love the people that I get to hang out with and, and what I, you know, that I get to make chocolate. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I enjoy that, you know, I also, I will also work, you know, social engagements in there. Our friends know that if they want to see us, they have to come by the shop and they do. <laughs> um, and I'll take some time off and hang with them, but then I'll say, Hey guys, why don't you guys come over here and, and I'm going to roll some truffles while we're chatting. You know, I would do that all the time and it's, and it's great. So I think that's what it means to me is, is work and, and life. It's the same thing. You know, it works together. You, you um, have to love do, what you're doing in this industry. I mean, you I have totally to. I totally agree. you're not going to get that same work-life balance that you might get in other industries. So you really have to be smart about what path you take in this industry to make sure you're doing what it is you love. And I, I think that you're a shining example of that, Catherine. It's so true. And, you know, sometimes we find ourselves kind of veering off path and, and doing something that might be profitable for us. But then, you know... There have been a couple of instances where we've we've then you know, gotten rid of the project because it's like this just isn't fun. Mm. Like I just won't enjoy doing this every single day. If it takes off and and this is hugely successful, it's just not going to be fun. So mm. you know I think that's important to keep in mind as well. Um, awesome stuff. Yeah. So let me ask you. You mentioned earlier you uh, did some reading. You really educated yourself on business. If there's a handful of books or just a couple books you could recommend that are just must reads for people in this industry uh, looking to open their own business, what would those books be? What are your recommendations? You know, I will say that's that's tough um, because honestly, I didn't. I felt like most of the books were common sense related. Mm-hmm. You know, I I read so many books and I don't know if I had any amazing takeaways from them. I think that you could learn so much more from going and working for somebody who's really cool. There is there is one blog actually that I was going to recommend. To yeah, you. please. Um, there's a there's a gentleman named Paul Graham, and this comes to me by way of my business partner, who's a tech guy. So this this gentleman Paul Graham does tech startups. He's a, he's a um, an investor, and he writes some really cool stuff. And actually, my um, my idea from Tenacity comes from his one of his essays that was titled, like, you know, the secret to success in business is just don't die. Like, just <laughs> hang on there with your with your teeth and your fingernails until you, you've made it. You know, you have to just, just not die long enough until you can make it. And I, I think that there's a lot of truth in that, and that's where my idea of Tenacity kind of came from is like we're doing the right thing we know we are we're not sitting back and waiting for the money to flow in absolutely not but we are still we're out there working we're out there making it happen and someday everybody's going to realize this this, these awesome products that we've created these amazing truffles caramels and marshmallows in such cool flavors with such great ingredients and they're going to come to our door and we're going to be ready for them Awesome. Um, but we're also going to help bring them to our door, right? You know, we're we're definitely going to be responsible for our own success. But so, what, um, what's Paul Graham's uh, blog? What's it called? You know what? I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, it it's, I know it sounds silly, but I just have a 
bookmark on my um, on my computer, and I just I never it. read it. But Paul... yeah, I know if you look up Paul Graham, you will totally find it. It's a uh, paulgram.com. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll have that link that is... in the show notes. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash. 203 this is episode 203 i'll we can link right over there for you and i'll, I'll have to bookmark this myself Catherine. um one other book uh-huh. you know one book i would recommend based off of what you're saying of just that uh tenacity just the, the secret in business is to just stay alive uh is the a book written by seth godin uh called dip it's a super easy read it's 76 pages long if you get it on audio it takes like an hour to listen to uh and it's that that concept of just keep going and people quit just before things take off for them and, and know that when you start, it's going to be years before things really, you know, you really start to get that traction and start getting profitable. For you, you said it took almost like eight or nine years, right? Like, yeah, it definitely took probably, probably seven years until we were pretty, pretty confident. But I also, you know, I started the business not having read anything, just saying like, you know, I was, I was young, I was super young, super inexperienced and, you know, um, yeah, it's just it, I think that that um, things would probably go differently for for folks that are a little bit more experienced who've worked under small businesses in the past and that sort of thing. You know, I only worked for a corporate company, so I think that that would be a little bit differently. And honestly, you know, Seth Godin, I've, I've started reading his stuff and I subscribed to his feed and all that jazz, and it just, you know, to me, I, I just think it came down to common sense. You know, I mm-hmm. I don't. So he's not particularly motivational for for me, mm-hmm. um, but you know I can definitely see see where he comes from. Yeah, well, not everybody has your common sense, Catherine. I guess <laughs> you do. Common mean... sense isn't so common, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Um, so let's talk about technology, Catherine. Are there any tools, any technologies you're leveraging in your business that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm a, I'm a little spoiled um, because my business partner is a computer programmer. So anytime we need anything, he writes a program for it. So, so no, not so really. Your um, advice is to marry a computer programmer. I so it's funny that you say that because actually in, in one of the original articles that I was interviewed for um, when we opened our shop in 2012. I, uh, you know, this this gal was asking me what's your what's your best piece of advice, and I was like, marry a computer programmer, <laughs> and he printed it. Awesome. He printed it. <laughs> yeah, and I I <laughs> I learned a great lesson of you don't you don't joke to reporters, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so so you know, I I do think that technology can be really really useful. Um, unfortunately, I I don't think that I can provide a lot to this. Um, we'll just put because, Mary because we have computer programmer. Before. We'll put that right in there. In the show John. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> Catherine, with all of your knowledge, everything you've learned over these past nine years, if you can go back in time and you're just opening your business and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? I would go back to six months before I'd open the business and I would say, don't open the business for another couple of years, <laughs> figure out what you want to do, and then go work for people and learn those learn those hard lessons you know, on somebody else's money, you know, mm-hmm. learn it from them. Not Absolutely. that I should go and make those mistakes, but I would go and I would say, oh, they're not doing this. Oh, I bet this is why. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of, I feel, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time kind of banging my head against the wall because I, I thought, would think of what, what was, quote, unquote, a great idea turned out to not be such a great idea. You know, um, it, it, one it, thing that my husband often says is, you know, one of his favorite lines is, okay, so nobody's doing this. There are two reasons for that. 
either it's um, either you're a genius or it's not a good idea. And sometimes, sometimes we're geniuses, right? Sometimes that's absolutely true, but I think that's very important to consider why is nobody doing this. Yeah, so true. Whatever it is. Really great advice. And I love, you know, you mentioned make those mistakes on someone else's dollar. But the other thing, too, is when you take that time to go to work for other people and to experience yep. new things, you learn a lot about yourself and what you love and what you learn your strengths and how you can pull those strengths and leverage those strengths in business. And you would have never learned these things unless you just went out there and got that experience. Um, Absolutely. And also advice. your weaknesses, right? For sure. Also your weaknesses. You're like, oh, I, I'm really bad at this. And you know, either you can get better at it or you can find somebody else to do it for you, yeah. whether it's accounting or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, absolutely. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about the industry. You know, if I'd worked for another a chocolate company or two, um, I'm curious as to where I would be today. I, um, maybe I would have decided to not start the business. Maybe yeah. I would have said, wow, this is a lot of work. You know, and I think it's funny. A lot of people who get into this industry, they're very passionate. They're very driven. They're very they're, – they're starters. They do things. They start. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. one lesson, um, a great lesson we just learned yesterday from our uh, our pat, the, the guest I had on just before you, Chef Richard Arlair, is patience. It took him – from when he got into yeah. the industry and really started cooking and learning, he said it took him 10 years to – and he got executive chef offers, but he wanted to make sure he knew his strengths, his weaknesses, all parts of the restaurant before he took on that role. And, and that patience has helped him so much. So, I mean, yeah, take mm-hmm. that time. Go back and take another few years to really learn yourself. Great advice. Absolutely. Catherine, if there was yeah. one question I could have asked you that would have added more – value to this interview what would it have been and why you know what this is this is one thing i honestly was reading through your questions and i was like this, this guy has everything covered um i honestly think that it's a, it's a really great list that you've compiled and obviously you know you've, you've done an interview or two in your time um <laughs> you know i i think it's a great list i honestly i know this is probably not the answer you're looking for but i don't know if i'd change a thing well, thank you very much. I have really put a lot of thought into that list. I'm always looking to improve it. So if you're listening at home, sure. if you're saying to yourself, I have an idea, I have a question, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I will totally consider it. Always looking to improve. And Catherine, uh, we're going to wrap it up now. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. And that's how I found you. Mike and Eno called you out. He said, you've got to get this girl on the show. She's awesome. She's full of energy. Uh, and she just has a great story. So who are you going to call out? Who's one restaurant professional you admire and just think would make a great guest mentor like you? Well, I'm going to call out a, a team of restaurant professionals, um, Nathan Sears and Adam Hebert from, um, from the Radler here in Chicago. And we were talking earlier about tipping. They've actually... Done some pretty cool things just recently, as far as as far as tipping goes. So they're giving their they're paying their their servers well. They're paying their cooks um, much better than they were before. And everybody has you know it, I believe a, a guaranteed income each week. So um, so it's pretty cool. You know they're they're definitely making waves in Chicago and beyond. Plus uh, they make really delicious German food. Um, so. I would highly recommend chatting with those gentlemen. Can you say the name one more time for me? Yeah, Nathan Sears is the chef. All right. And they work for? Um, the Rattler. Nathan Sears at the Rattler. Look out, man. I'm coming after you. Love to get you on the show. <laughs> and uh, Catherine, let the folks at home know 
uh, how they can connect with you if they have any further questions or if they just want to order your amazing chocolates and caramels. Absolutely. It's easy, of course, just to Google Catherine Ann Confections. My website is Catherine, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E hyphen Ann, A-N-N-E dot com. And, so uh, that's that's always a good way to reach out. Any Twitter handles or Facebook social media? Yeah, K A Chocolatier. K A Chocolatier is my Twitter handle. Um, I have to admit, I'm I'm bad at Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get with the times and get better at it. But then, yeah, Facebook is Catherine and Confections. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Catherine, for taking the time to be a guest mentor. You were. So great, filled with energy. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me on this, this unstoppable show. It was it was awesome. It was my pleasure. Cheers. Catherine and Duncan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This show was awesome, and for you guys listening at home, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Some great advice in this show. And, I mean... I think so often we look at people who are successful, we look, you know, outside looking in, and we think to ourselves, wow, they're so lucky how they just got all this success all of a sudden. But the truth is, nothing ever happens overnight. And those people who are successful, man, they had to climb a long uphill battle to get there. And I love that quote she shared with us that was, the secret to success is just to not die long enough and it's so true uh just hang in there don't get discouraged improve every day and good things will happen if you have a good product and you're doing the right thing so just hang in there great stuff if you guys are enjoying these episodes and you want more episodes like them i need your help spread the word about this podcast leave five star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio and use my links or contact me if there's a product or service you discovered on the show uh if you're opening a restaurant you want to implement these tools and these these resources to systematize your business and to get organized shoot me an email i'll connect you with the right people and maybe if they're one of my affiliates i'll get a little kickback at no extra expense to you and that's how we can uh fund this awesome project of just creating this melting pot of mentors so we don't have to go it alone so they can shine a light uh on the path to success for all of us uh i'm learning so much i hope you guys are learning a ton too if there's anything you can think of that would make this show better shoot me an email eric at restaurantunstoppable.com also check out the books list check out the tools and resources list uh over at restaurantunstoppable.com i have a whole list of all the tools and, and books that our guests have recommended i put that list together for you so you can find out what's out there to to make your restaurant better and to increase those odds of success all right that is all i have today Until next time, peace out.